Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 328. My name is Brando. Welcome, Mr. Sean Bevan. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing, Brando? Even though if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, I mean, you're not moonlighting as a Juliet somewhere. That's uh, a <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Juliet. I'm not moonlighting as Juliet. She's usually the one that people would rather look at than me. So that's, you know. That's fair enough. Fair enough. And <laughs> and also, so you, people know why I'm hiding behind a microphone. I still have a chipped tooth from a car accident I got a couple weeks ago. I got to get that fixed. I think it, it's... I, okay. Microphones microphones aren't helpful that way I, I, because I got mine once during a... I was playing with Humble Pie and I was playing bass for him and there it was like a really stormy night in a outdoor venue or whatever and the microphone like kind of tilted, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and like went upside down. So the microphone's kind of hanging upside down and I'm singing like, I don't need no doctor or whatever. So I, I go underneath it and I start singing like that. And then the mic just drops, boom, knocks the back of my tooth out. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> that hurts so bad. Oh, wow. And, 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 I was going to say, I was thinking that, well, the introduction would be like, I don't know where to start with you, Sean. And, and I just love, <laughs> so I was playing bass with a uh, humble pie. It just starts... <laughs> So, so talking to somebody like you, obviously there's so many different, well, it's not obvious. There's so many different places to start in your resume, but before it gets lost in the weeds, what are you doing now? Um, especially during the, the pandemic and how has your career changed? We were talking off the air, how I was in a studio before in New York city and now I'm at home sitting on cat litter. So, you know, how is your, <laughs> what are you up to? How's your life changed? Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I almost feel bad about this, but my life hasn't changed at all during the pandemic. Um, I've been working out of my own home studio for uh, probably a decade or more. Um, and sometimes I go to studios to like record, you know, drums or orchestra or something, but it's mostly I work out of my house. So, um, and my house has always had a live room to do drums in. It's always, you know, which is sometimes my bedroom, sometimes, you know, whatever. Um, cause you can make anything work really. Um, so yeah, it, it really, the pan, the only thing that happened for me for the pandemic was right before it started, I had an old Neve console and I was kind of deciding to re like to buy a bunch of new stuff because I wanted to make my, I wanted to be able to travel more and record. So I was like, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to get rid of this Neve console. So, so I sold the Neve console, like the week that the lockdown came to get, like t came together. So like I'd sold this console with, you know, made a good, good amount of money on it, obviously Neve. Um, and it was like that thing of like, well, I just got, I have a really big cushion. So if this lasts a couple of years, I'll be okay. And luckily that has worked out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Plus I, I've, I've been working the way I normally work, which is, you know, people ask me to mix stuff. They send me files. I mix them. I send them back to them, you know, and uh, that works really good. And when I'm working with directors, like, cause I do a lot of uh, composition for films and stuff. And uh, that's always been the same workflow, which is like one day out of the project, we get together and we do a spotting session where he shows me the final cut of the film and we then we talk about scene to scene, what he's interested in, you know, hearing, um, plays me like temp music that they've got or whatever, and, and like what he likes about the temp music, what he doesn't like about the temp music, that kind of thing. And so it's like a one day six hour thing in a, in a room together. And then the rest of the time I'm here with Juliet, we're writing the stuff and then we send him a little quick time file every day of the five minutes that we did or three minutes we did. And then they tell, tell me what they like and I make changes and I keep going. So it's literally, I'm at home most of the time anyway. So mm. it really didn't change anything. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. And I will say, obviously the pandemic is terrible, but it's been a blessing. I'm finally the home studio life and I like it. 
It's great. I do. I mean, that's for me, that was one of the things I saw, kind of saw this coming down the pike, you know, a long time ago. And mainly because where I come from, like Nine Inch Nails, Manson, it's like we did everything at home anyways. Mm. Like we, it was all labor intensive stuff. Every time we'd do an album, we'd build another studio and work out from home or whatever, you know, and, uh, it just, it was one of those things. So I just started gathering equipment over the years and, and made it always so I could do some work in a studio and then go home and like maybe do vocals at my house. You know, that was always the easiest thing. Um, and I got used to the thing of mixing at the house where instead of, okay, they booked me, I'm pretty expensive. And then they book a room that I'm mixing in. That's pretty expensive. Right. And, and so now it's like, well, I got to work the whole 12 hours a day that's locked out because I'll feel bad if I, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? You know, that kind of thing. So I used to work like 12, 14 hours a day. And then as I started working at home, I started doing things much more efficiently. And Mm. so now it takes less time and the work is actually better. And I can do things like I can mix, say, two songs in one day, but I'll only mix for like two or three hours per song. And then the next day I'll listen to it with fresh ears, fresh ideas. Boom, like do another hour or two. And I've done a mix that probably would have taken me three days to do, but I can do it in a few hours, you know. And it works really great. Like it's made the creative process better, makes it flow better. Um, and, and the great thing is two clients don't walk into a room that they're unfamiliar with, you know what I mean? And listen and go like, oh, I think I hear things right. You know, I send them, I send it to where they listen. You know what I mean? What they, what they normally listen to stuff at, they know what things sound good there. And so they get to hear it in their environment and then make changes from there. And it works out really, really well. And anything we need to be together to do, we do over Skype, you know, or, or Zoom or, you know. And uh, that's worked out great. I, I work with this band Shining in Norway all the time. And Jorgen, the lead singer, and I write over Zoom. You know, we'll just sit there and, you know, come up with ideas. He'll play me some stuff. I'll like say like, oh, it'd be great if you did this with like a four on the floor kick drum and blah, blah, you know what I mean? And we kind of really like kick ideas around like that. And then we'll go separately and kind of do some stuff together and then send it to each other, then make comments and do it that way. So it works out perfect, you know. Has there been an influx? Because you mentioned whether it's Skype or Zoom, because pre-pandemic, I was strictly just a you know, audio podcaster, you know, an old school radio kind of personality. And, right. and, and, and since, especially you would see it on the news, it's just people were forced to do it. And then everyone started doing it. Have you seen like an influx of, of clients, you know, from new content creators, maybe anyone that maybe like reached out to you that surprised you that, because a lot of people use this time to, you know, reinvent themselves or to try things they didn't do before, or again, making their, their home studio. So. Any- oh Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the cool things. I think there are, are, are several things. Like today, this after this morning, I did an interview with Toby Wright, um, who f- was like the producer for Allison Chains and all that stuff. And he's doing a podcast now with a lot, does a lot of engineers, and they and you kind of talk shop, you know, about engineering and stuff like that. And uh, what I think is great about that and like Rick Beato's YouTube channel. Warren Hewitt's uh, produced like a pro channel, like YouTube channel, um, Pensado's place, like Dave Pensado's thing, is like we're finding ways to do kind of what we used to do in the old school engineering thing, where it's like you come in as an assistant engineer and you work with a guy who's been engineering on a lot of great stuff, and he gets to kind of show you the ropes as he knows them. You know what I mean? And gets to impart that knowledge to you. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, it was all done in like the guild system in the old days, but now it's like everybody works kind of out of their home. They work in in different circumstances. You know, it's like uh, guys are doing podcasts and they're doing – you know, they've got a, a side gig that's they're doing like graphic arts or they're doing editing for, you know, film or editing for TV. Um, you know, on off days, I mix television shows. You know, what I mean, I mix <laughs> films like I like it's like you can do all these things, you know. But since we're all so busy doing that, you don't have the system where you get to work with someone who you admire, who does really cool stuff and has done really cool stuff. And you get to kind of learn from them. So I think these podcasts and these Zoom channels and YouTube channels really provide a way for the old school to bring knowledge to the new school yeah. and, and vice versa because of Zoom, like this is what I love about it, is that when you like I have clients who um, uh, 
write to me and they're like, you know, can I do a lesson on mixing with you? Like, can you, you know, mm. teach me how you use the mix bus or how you do, you know, and, and like, or how you record drums? Like, how did you get this drum sound or that guitar sound or whatever? And like, I'll say, yeah, just to, we'll do a Zoom and I can go over that with you, you know? And some guys will say like, I'm working on a mix and my idea is to do something like this. What do you think about that? You know, and, and so I can listen to their mix. I can make critiques. We can talk back and forth. I, I learn a lot from it as well. Just like, like you know, like new, uh, like hip hop artists or, or, or EDM artists come in and they've done something and I see how they do it. And it's like, oh, that's like a really cool idea. And then I give them my ideas of how I do this to make it pump more, make, you know, how they can effectively make things have more space frequency wise or less masking in their mixes. And it's like the the influx of all that knowledge like serves all of us, you know, because there's so much you can learn from the new guys who are doing cool and radical stuff in their house because they're they're making it up as they go. You know what I mean? It's like when I started with nails, we were making it up, you know, like nobody had ever used a BA6A compressor the way we did or, or you know, ran, you know, uh, distortion pedals into gates into gates into pe distortion pedals into gate you know I mean like come up with stuff like that you know so it, it just it's that thing of it increases an ever-expanding vocabulary of what we do you know which is awesome if there was any producer who was prepared for a pandemic it's sean bevan like he, <laughs> why and i feel like again i'm catching up a bit you know uh even though i'm quote unquote ahead of the game obviously you've just been um mentioning Nine Inch Nails. I mean, yeah, they they started something new with using a different tactic. Uh, so that's just one avenue we can go down. I showed yeah, a lot, yeah. uh, but I mean, you mentioned distortion. You're on appetite for distortion, so I'd be remiss. And I appreciate just how easy this was to, you know, to get you on the podcast. I don't want to say I appreciate that. I'm not saying oh, that cool. you know you uh, say yes to everybody, but um, because Chinese democracy is such an enigma. And that era of Guns N' Roses, such an enigma, a few, maybe been like a month ago now, uh, I was lucky enough to interview Dave Navarro, who mm -hmm. recorded with, um, with GNR, just uh, on, on My God, just one song, Oh My God, in the end of the day, soundtrack. Yep. And, you know, he, we were talking a lot about mental health, and he opened up about why he, he couldn't join the band at the time, he wasn't mentally uh, ready, but just him telling a story. And I don't know if you were in the studio at the time. Maybe, yeah, I was, yeah. Uh, oh, at this particular time then. Yeah. When yeah. He's, he's like, where's Axel? He shows up and he does his parts. And then all of a sudden he hears you know, a voice that happens to be Axel on a speakerphone. He didn't know Axel was there. Were you, yeah. were you, were you were there, one of the people in the studio? Yes, I was. Yeah, I okay. was one of the people in the studio, yeah. Because <laughs> that was just a brilliant story. And for people like me who loved that song right away, I was never thrown off by the industrial angle that Guns N' Roses was going. Maybe it has to do with my age. You know, my first concert was with Buckethead. So, I mean... Right, right. It's... I was too young. My first concert ever was the Ninja Turtles at Radio City Music Hall. So, I just... Oh, I, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, but I just never yeah. had the chance to... I didn't grow up with the appetite lineup. I grew up being conscious of already the illusions and just... Wanting anything, you know, wanting the, the, sorry if I got your leaks during, I mean, has anyone ever apologized to you for getting the Chinese democracy leaks? Oh. Yeah, yeah, people have. In okay. fact, the guy, the guy who leaked it has apologized to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Uh, first things first, because I was just mentioning it, can you tell us, what can you tell us about, oh my God, and that song? And Because it was the first GNR song to come since the band broke up. So yeah, 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 yeah. How did that come about? Um, it was it was one of those things. We were working. Um, I had been there for probably three months or so, four months, maybe even longer, maybe five. Um, we had done about thirty five songs during that period of time. So we like because the at the at that point in time, it was like nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine, ninety nine. It, the band was Tommy Stinson playing bass, Josh Freeze on drums, Robin Fink was playing guitar. Um, I actually played one of the rhythm guitars on that song, on Oh My God. Um, and uh, Dizzy was playing keyboards. 
Um, Paul Hugie was playing guitar, rhythm guitar. Um, and so, and it was pretty like, it was the four guys, those, that group of people were the main guys that were there for several months. And that was like every day writing songs and just, you know, laying stuff down quickly. Cause you know, when you got Josh Freeze involved, you know, it's going to be quick with the drum tracking <laughs> for sure. He was on um, recently as well and told us yeah. about, uh, smells like Josh spirit. That was, yes. He told us about that. Yeah. Oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the best. Um, but uh, we had a, like a really good time with it. And uh, it was a little like I was a little more uncomfortable with it because it was it was so pushed toward industrial. And that was I thought that that was kind of odd. You know what I mean? Like but it was interesting and, and it was really like Axel was really excited about it vibe wise and stuff and he and it was one of the first songs where he like just came up with lyrics immediately like it was like super fast he was really excited by it and uh we we got most of it laid down and then i think jimmy Iveen came in the studio and like listened to it because he was listening to what was going on and that one he like heard and he goes well that's pretty much that's done right and we're like yeah i mean it just needs to be mixed or whatever you know and he goes he goes you know i have got a i've got a movie for that i i can put that on a movie right now we should put it out you know and uh, that's my jimmy <laughs> um and uh and everybody was like what like what you know like and, and but he was like he was just like let's put it out let's do it and Ax, axel went around along with it you know so it's like we went to new york andy wallace mixed it um and uh it was one of those things where it was just kind of the the ball just rolled really quick on it you know and uh it was kind of perfect for the movie you know it worked really well so you know it was l loud and raucous and you know um and so it, it, it worked out great, you know, it was just really cool and, and fun to be a part of. And it was, it was strange at a time when I didn't think Axel was going to want to put anything out until everything was done. Cause he had an idea of like kind of putting three records out at this, like at once. Um, but he, he got on board with Jimmy and they, they made it happen. Jimmy made it happen quick. And so that was Jimmy's idea to put it on yeah. the end of days. Uh, yeah. Sandra. I had the, yeah. I guess it, it's my bubble was burst when somebody said that. I don't know if you saw the, it's like online ads for Schwarzenegger in Zeus, which mm -hmm. I don't know if it's going to be a Super Bowl ad or a movie. But I was like, if they were to do redo, oh my god! Which to me that's untouchable. I, I really, I'm not even, I'm not just saying because you're here. First, right. first listen. But if they were to redo it with Slash and Duff, why not debut it on another Schwarzenegger movie? So I didn't know if that was like an Axel thing uh so that's interesting jimmy yeah um that was jimmy's idea but the the backtrack a little bit how mm -hmm. did you first get involved with with guns uh, and roses okay that's an interesting story actually <laughs> um i was uh i had just finished um mechanical animals and i was um looking for the next thing i was going to be doing and at the same time uh, billy howardell called me and because Billy and I had worked together on Nine Inch Nails, he was Trent's guitar tech on the Downward Spiral tour. And we were good friends. And he was like, hey, I'm doing the Guns N' Roses record. He goes, I'm, I'm guitar teching, but I'm also um, doing Logic with him and like kind of helping him write some songs. And Robin Fink has joined the band. He's playing lead guitar. Um, and Robin and I started talking you up to Axel. And Axel really wants to have you come in and and you know you know talk you know, um, and so I was a little reticent because it, it seemed like it would be going from you know when you're doing Nine Inch Nails or Marilyn Manson it's like it's like a at least a year commitment everything you know what I mean like a it longer term stuff and I knew that with working with Axel would be similar. You know what I mean? And I, and I kind of wanted to go to something that was kind of quick, you know? <laughs> you um, went to the wrong you know, project. <laughs> I went to the wrong project. But, um, and so I was reticent, but I, um, you know, I love Robin. I love his playing. Um, and I love Billy. He's just a great, great guy and a very creative guy. And he was just starting, uh, like the Perfect Circle project, you know? And he had played me some of that stuff and it was really cool. And I w was going to help him out on some of that stuff. And then, um, he was just like, you got to meet Axe. You got to meet Axe. So I went in and had a meeting with Axel. Just 
we just sat in the studio together and just talked music really. And we just hit it off. You know, it's one of those things where you realize like someone's kind of like your brother. You know what I mean? Like we're the same age. We have the same, like our favorite bands are the same bands. You know what I mean? Like favorite favorite producers are the same producers. Like, you know, he's a Queen fanatic. I'm a Queen fanatic. Alice Cooper fanatic. He's Alice Cooper fanatic. And like all these things, like where parallels were just great. And it was too like, it was too kismet to not, go with it. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was like, okay, I got to do this, you know, you know, and it, at the same time, uh, Tom Wally had asked me to do some pre-production work with no doubt. And the timing worked out kind of perfect so that I could do the pre-production with no doubt and start the guns and roses thing. So it just happened, you know, and Axe and I just like, it, there was a kismet, you know what I mean? You, you couldn't deny it, you know, which is awesome to hear and that's what you kind of want in the producer and to kind of grow with the project and which is just why it's uh becomes such an anomaly of just all the changes it went through all the years and you kind of hear all the changes when you listen to it and if you notice i got chinese democracy you know right behind me left shoulder i bought that day of wow i bought that day of i was the only one i wasn't the only one but i was holding it up in the middle best buy like simba you know, <laughs> you know, Rafiki holding Zimba. Zimba. I was yeah. like, I, it's here. I'm holding it. You know, again. Oh not, my God! Yeah. Not the 13 years. Uh, yeah. So yeah. When and I was there for I think two, two of the like two years of it. So um, which is just wow. Just only just part of the adventure. So when you go in, you know, how big of a Guns N' Roses fan were you at that time, and what was your vision? Because you're now going to work with Axe Rose, and essentially. Nine Inch Nails and what would become a perfect circle. This is an all new band, basically. Yeah. You know, no offense to Dizzy, it's an all new band. So, what was your, you know, what was your mission? What was your goal? What? How did you go into the project? You know, um, I kind of went into it with the idea that um, it was like it was Axe's baby. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to make a Guns N' Roses record in the standard Guns N' Roses way because Guns N' Roses wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like there. That, you know, everybody, th- when you think about bands in terms of the kind of classic rock style of the lead singer and the lead guitarist, you know what I mean? Like, and, and that thing. And I knew that the lead guitarist that was kind of iconic for that band was not there anymore. You know what I mean? So this had to be kind of like a reinvented Guns N' Roses that was more an, a pure Axel Guns N' Roses than it was a collaboration of of foils that work well together in their antagonism, you know, mm. <laughs> you know, and, uh, so, so I just, I had it from that perspective and I, I wasn't thinking that I was going to try to make this into, you know, Guns N' Roses somehow, or that somehow I would convince him to have, you know, uh, Slash come back in the band or whatever. It's like, I didn't have any of those delusions. It was more like, let's, let's, let's get Axel's vision onto tape, you know what I mean? Like, and, and make it happen. Um, which is always my idea. Cause when I go in, like when I had that talk with Axe, um, it was, it's all about empathy. You know what I mean? Like, like you, when you walk into the room and you start talking to the art artist, you, you really listen to what they're saying so that you can understand where they're coming from and where they want to go. Cause that's your job. You know what I mean? Like you're the, you're the sounding board, you're the taste filter. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not, I don't ever make my record when I'm making someone else's record. I make their record. You know what I mean? I try to make that happen, you know? And so that was my point there was just like, really listen to what Axel was thinking about and what he wanted to accomplish and then try to figure out the best way to help him accomplish that. You know? So along with that, there was no thought of don't call this Guns N' Roses. This should be Axl Rose. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think that way either. And because because Axl wasn't thinking that way, he was thinking of it as an evolution of Guns N' Roses. You know, Gun, sure. he, to, I think to Axl, Guns N' Roses wasn't his. Right? It wasn't Slashes. It wasn't Duff's. You know what I mean? It was. It was an entity unto itself that had taken its like a, kind of like a, a railroad train, <laughs> you know what I mean? And and he was taking it to the next evolution, you know what I mean? The, it was it was going to be what it, he, in his stewardship. This is where it was going, you know what I mean? I do, and it, it made sense to me, you know what I mean? Like I like and I I like bands to evolve, you know what I mean? So I wasn't against that at all, you know what I mean? Like it, 
it made sense to me. It made sense to me too, which is why I was excited. Again, apologies for the leaks, but I thought it, we would never get it. My first GNR concert was seeing Buckethead. So, I mean, that was, you know, this band, that era has a close, closest to my heart. And yeah. I'd be remiss because I got so many questions. You know, it's all along the same lines. And, you know, I want to give people proper shout outs. I mean, half of them are going to be like Twitter handles and things like that. But, right. you know, just, just to show people, I, I listen. I want to ask the questions for the people because we're all, you know, not just me. Everyone's appreciative of your time today. So just uh, yeah. thank you. Uh, this is from Pell83. So many to fit into Twitter character limits. Obviously, <laughs> uh, Chai uh, Dem questions. Hopefully we've answered a couple so far. Uh, T- Tommy and Robin were writing a lot of music, which you had mentioned. Where did yeah. Axel come in and all that? Uh, so did Axel speak to you, I guess, directly as much? Did they? Did you guys discuss tracks? And uh, yeah, let's get to that before because he has more questions. Yeah, I, I think I, that's a that's a good point. A- Axel was very involved in the even the basic writing of the songs. Like his guys would come in with like kind of sketches of ideas and stuff, and then Axel would listen to the ideas. Um, like even if they were because they were all in a room, we had the live room set up with monitors and everything so that they could play as a band. You know what I mean? And like, you know, Josh would come in and play like a riff on guitar and say like, hey, I wrote this or, you know, um, Robin would do the same thing, you know, and they'd, they'd kind of come out, they'd jam it, you know what I mean? And then Axe would, would would be like, you know, I, I think this part should go here, blah, 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 or like that inspired him to come up with a piano line that, you know, it would, it was like a band, they were a band, you know what I mean? They were, they were doing it like a band. And at the same time, one of the things Axel was doing to kind of bring it all into the Guns N' Roses spirit is he was having that band learn all of the songs from Appetite. And so they were learning Appetite and playing it like at playing it with their vibe, but learning Appetite so that they became part of that, that Guns N' Roses aesthetic. You know what I mean? So it wasn't just a bunch of session guys. He wanted them to all kind of be playing stuff that they had done so that when they moved to new stuff that they were writing, they'd be in that same kind of mode. And that was kind of how that was done, and it worked really, really well. And Axe was always like always interested in, in new stuff, what people would come up with, and he didn't care who came up with it. Like literally it could be, you know, Billy, Billy Howardale would come up with something like some cool loop or something that he was doing in the room with the logic system. And Axe would be like, hold on, I gotta go, I gotta go write that. You know what I mean? And like they'd work on lyrics and he would he would sing stuff to what Billy was doing. And that would became, you know, there are several songs that are on the record that came from that. You know, just from Billy, who is essentially a guitar tech and a programmer on the record, you know. So so it was like it was whoever who had the best ideas, you know, what I mean, and Axe would work with them. I like that. And, and knock on wood, um, it's, chances are pretty good that I'll get Billy Howardale this summer for. Uh, oh, for excellent. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's working on the secret stuff. I, I think he is. That I probably shouldn't have said. I'm not going to really said much of anything. Uh, actually, just to finish his this guy's question, I mean, it can really, it's my tie into a lot of different things. We can go a lot of different ways. Do you have favorite songs from that era? And I guess with that, are they on Chinese Democracy or are they not? Um, they they are. I, I all of the like all the ones that I like all my favorites from that era. Because we did like 35 songs. <laughs> um, I think all my favorites were actually put on the record. You know what I mean? Um, and because most of them were the, the ones that Axe ended up singing on. You know what I mean? Um, almost all the vocals on Chinese Democracy were ones that I recorded. Okay. So, you know, so... So I like they're they're still close to me. I like Riyadh and the Bedouins. I like blues. I like uh, like those are the ones that that hit me like right away. Thinking of, um, but I mean there's several more that I really liked on that record. So. Well, what about since it was um, <laughs> the leak said the blues, but when it came out it was Street of Dreams. Were you just yes. like, but were you were just like, oh, they changed the title? We did like I don't know. Sometimes yeah. if you did that, well, little things I, like the that. The blues was always a work. The blues was a working title. It, that was even before he had music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like it ended up being Street of Dreams, and and that those lyrics 
we're part of it already when we did it. It's just that they never, like while I was working on it, he never changed the name of it while he was, you know what I mean? While it was on the lists or whatever, you know? But uh, yeah, I mean, and the lyrics are, I mean, the last time, the last time I recorded it, it was pretty much exactly the same, which was surprising to me in a way. And this is one of the things about Axel. There, I think there's something people should know about Axel. Um, and it's one of the things that really endear him to me. Um, when I first got in there to produce, I mean, one of the things you do as, as a producer is you you keep an eye on the budget. You know what I mean? Like you're, you know, sure. and I want to make sure that money is going to things that need the money. You know what I mean? And, um, the, at the time there was a, there was a lot of money going out per month and I was just trying to rein some of that in. So we had more money for the things that we would deem important, like rentals and stuff. And, uh, one of the things was we had, um, Axel's monitor engineer was there and he was like, we had a big monitor console and all the monitor gear was there and it was all being rented by from Electrotech at the time which is one of my favorite PA companies and uh but it was a lot a pretty good expense you know what I mean and so I was I said to Axe I said you know we should we don't really need the monitors because we we've headphones we could do it all all with headphones I've got a really good headphone rig in here um so we should get rid of that and that we can let the monitor engineer go you know, because we we don't really need him, you know, for a thing. And Axel was like, he, he's been with me for a long time. Like we, you know, we've been working together for a long time. He's been done a lot of tours with me and stuff. And he's got like kids, a family. He goes, and I just, I just really want to do what, good by him. And I, I just, I want him here. It makes me feel better that he's here, you know? And I, and I was like, Okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, like when you've got that kind of loyalty, you know, to people who have done you well over the years, that just, that said a lot to me about who Axel was, you know, so that, that became really important to me. And, and that it's funny when Chinese democracy came out and, um, I know right when it came out, right before I, I got a copy before, right before it came out. And I, you know, of course I'm, I'm a kid from the seventies. So I like open, you know, op- open up the package, you know, to read the package and listen to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I put it in the, in the CD player at the time, which I actually had a CD player. I, I did too. I had the CD as well. I, I was on my bed listening to it in my, my yeah, yep. headphones on. I got the liner notes out and I'm reading through the stuff <laughs> and like, I'm interested, you know, it's been 13 years, you know, like or it te- at least 10 years since I had worked on it at all. And I was interested in all the changes that were going to be in the music and mm. stuff because they changed band members so much that I know like every time there'd be a different drummer, he would have, he would re-record the drums for that drummer, you know, that mm-hmm. every t- bass player, guitar players, you know, I mean, they, they were re-recording a lot of stuff. And so I was just really interested in, in it. And then as I'm reading the liner notes, like he's like crediting me for the vocals like recording the vocals and, and little anecdotes about how, how it was done or whatever. And so and I was just like, I was just amazed, hmm. you know, that after all that time, he would write that kind of stuff out that like, and give me credit for things that like, he didn't need to give me credit for, you know what I mean? But, but that's who he is. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of guy he is, you know? Right on. And I want to get to at some point, your your departure, and I spoke about the same thing with with Josh Freeze when he left to, to do a, a perfect circle. But as we're talking about, you mentioned the blues, um, and and just how certain the, the infancy of some of these songs that just never made it. But now, I mean, it's well, last year, so not now. I'm trying to live. It's when you live in a pandemic, it's like every day feels like it's Groundhog Day, which just <laughs> just, just happened. Uh, when hard school just came out and mm-hmm. uh, and absurd what are your memories of of those songs like if any i i don't really have memories of those ones i think those are definitely ones that were done some some of it was most of it was done later i think so okay. that that I'd, i don't have as mu- i don't have as many memories of that i mean it was 20 <laughs> 20 years ago. I know. 24 years ago. I don't remember. Um, yeah, it was a while ago. So, Okay. I, I mean, yeah. I, I asked the same thing about uh, to Josh Freeze, and he doesn't recall 
You know, that's how the yeah. story of uh, Chinese democracy came out. The smells like Josh spirit. Yeah. Because we're not getting that kind of, we don't know for sure who played on these. And just like with Chinese democracy itself, who did what solo? It's like, even though I'm not, yeah. I'm a kid from the eighties. I'm like, identify you with you with a kid from the seventies. I want to yeah. read the liner notes. I want to know what's, you know, who's playing what, because a lot of it blew my mind. Most of it blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So perhaps because I know I like, yeah. I had replaced some of Josh's drum parts with brain cause brain came into play. Yep. So some of that stuff got replaced there. I mean, they're still they were in the track listing. You know, what I mean, you could bring them up and stuff. Yeah. But I think I think that was the thing about Street of Dreams. The guitar solo that I remember the most was Robin's guitar solo, and I'm I think that's the one that was used, but I'm not sure. Um, but it's just such a brilliant guitar solo. I mean, there were you know, it's it's funny all that you know you you remember. Because none of these guys were bad play, you know, none of them were bad players. Of course not. None of the parts got replaced because they needed to be replaced. They were just replaced because Axel had a different guy playing now, and he wanted his energy in it. You know what I mean? Like like that, that feeling, and that and I that's that's part and parcel to Axel too. You know what I mean? He wants he wants to feel the people that he's playing with. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I get that. I completely get that. Uh, this is a question from maybe you remember this song or what it – this song may be, I, I guess, because this is just a song, one of those leaked or rumored. Uh, this is mm-hmm. from Mike Rubino on uh, Twitter. Would be interested to hear about working on Atlas Shrugged. Is there anything you could tell us about that? I think, I think Atlas Shrugged was one of those – one of the ones that Billy had started with Axel in the uh, – in the MIDI room, you know, so like with the logic system and that one was kind of, that one was started like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do remember doing the vocals on that. Um, and it was pretty typical. Um, the lyrics were, um, he, it was when he was kind of doing stuff that was really, um, literary, you know what I mean? So he was, he was kind of referencing books when he was writing. And when he came into the studio to record the vocals, he would, um, he wouldn't warm up like normal people do. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, you know, more, no, normal people do the, yeah, scales and kind of things. He would come in, get in front of the microphone and we'd set it up so that it had like batiks and candles, you know what I mean? Like super, you know, vibey you know and he would come in and he would just start and do a 45 minute long stand-up routine like he is one of the best joke tellers <laughs> you will ever hear like oh my god and he he remembers every joke he's ever heard i think he remembers perfectly and his timing is insane how good he is and you have not lived until you've heard him do sam kinnison huh. <laughs> it's just amazing wow just amazing. But that was like the, like the takeaways of like, you know, when he was doing vocals, like it would, and, and it, it was funny because all the little stand-up routines, he would take these jokes and they would kind of be tailored to what the lyrics on the song were going to be about, you know what I mean? So they'd move into that, they'd all move into that territory. So he's that thoughtful about what he's writing, you know what I mean? And, and so even when he's doing something that's just hysterically gut-busting funny, He's tied it into what he's singing about. It's in some way, you know what I mean. I love like that. Like you can always run it. I love yeah. that. Any um, any memories of the song Oklahoma? Is that an also is that a joke or reference to anything? Um, I th- I thought it had to do with. Uh, oh no, I don't. Yeah. Nope, <laughs> I I forgot what okay. it was. I like it. It hit like it hit at a moment, but yeah. I mean, a lot of these songs have been. S- so long ago that oh of course but know. I mean just just to mention but it, I it, do I remember something about it and I can't remember what the oh I wish I could remember that's okay I mean because yeah. well, I'll, I'll just mention because sometimes you get a great story and if it does come to you afterwards feel free to to email okay. me let me know but yeah like when we have we've had brain on a couple times amazing person Oh, great guy. And everyone, of course, you read these forums about what is the general about? You know, oh, this it's about this. Is, is Axel Rose the general? And Brain's like, I was eating General So's chicken. That, that was it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, no, I, it, I love it. It's just so funny. It's just such yeah. a, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. And, and you never knew where Axe was going to pull stuff from. You know what I mean? And he definitely, he's definitely that guy that when he does lyrics, he uh, he uses inside jokes with the band with the band members. You know what I mean? Like the people mm-hmm. that are going around. Like he he definitely tags these these inside jokes. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'll credit that question to uh, Black Star, who I mean, it's, I'm telling you, I won't uh, overwhelm you. But I mean, some of these questions—it's just like it's like a job interview almost. So I, I, I hope I'm I'm doing my best, guys. Doing my best. Uh, I guess when did you? I guess decide to. Well, again, we we spoke to Josh Freeze about it. When did you realize like this is just I can't stay or I'm not gonna put words in your mouth? Like how did uh, the relationship end? Um, for me, it was a combination of things. Um, I at the time, um. I was, you know, a pretty young producer and I wanted to get, like, do a bunch of stuff, right? So I was getting antsy about, I've been here for a year and a half, you know, like, like I I need to put a record out, you know what I mean? So um, I started, because we were working mostly late at night, like, like from like midnight to 7 a.m. or something like that, Um, because that's, because by the, by the last, like, six months that I was working with, with Axe, um, we were mostly doing vocals. It was like mostly vocal time. And so you either get him or you wouldn't get him depending on all the stuff that happened to him every day. Cause there was always a million lawyer meetings and blah, blah, you know what I mean? Um, and you know, when you're doing vocals and you're writing lyrics, like that stuff can really throw you off. So it could go, you get, you go two, three, four days without, you know, Axe, coming into the studio because of all the stuff that was happening. Um, and so I started doing where I, I could hang out, um, and come in or I, if I knew he wasn't coming in, then I would come in, you know what I mean? And, um, because the only thing that was important was getting the vocals done at that time. And so I took on another job. So during the day I would, I was working on, uh, a God lives underwater record. Um, and they were good buddies of mine from the Nine Inch Nails days or whatever. And so we could work like five hours a day and that was fine for, with them. So I was doing that record at the same time. And I just got to the point where I was realizing like I, ha- I have to keep doing music. Like I have, to, I have to do something else. And at the same time, Jimmy Iovine and Tom Wally call me into the office and they're like, we got to make this record happen faster. He goes, and, and I just have this feeling because you and Axe are like buddies and the same age, like you're not pushing him enough. You know what I mean? And, uh, and he's not feeling pushed by you to do this. And we were wondering what you thought of how he would react to like a more like elder statesman producer working with them, you know, like, do you think that might give them the impetus to really kind of move a little more? And I didn't think that was a bad idea. <laughs> like, I actually thought that was a good idea. Um, because Axe and I were at that point where we were just kind of working, but I don't think I was cha- like challenging him in that way. You know what I mean? We were getting stuff done, but he, he didn't feel like the, oh, I got to got to get moving. He was comfortable. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so was I, you know what I mean? But it was that thing of, that seemed like a good idea to me. And my suggestion was, um, call up Bob Ezrin and see if Bob wanted to come in and do it. Because I said, you know, he's got a lot of respect for Bob. And I had just done a panel with Bob, like a producer panel with Bob and we got along really well. And so with the kind of person he was and the kind of person Axe was, I thought that they would get along well, but Bob's like kind of a no nonsense guy, you know what I mean? And he might be, he might be the impetus that would be, you know, Axe would be like, Ooh, I'm kind of excited to work with the idol and, you know, move, move along, you know? And so that was my suggestion. And then they, they did a couple of calls and then they said, well, we've got, uh, Lord, uh, Roy Thomas Baker is really interested in doing it. 
And I thought, uh, that's great. Like, queen fanatics, both of us, you know what I mean? So, like, I think that might really make him excited about, you know, kind of pushing the envelope a bit. And so I was all down for it. And I said, I said I'll give, you know, I, I'll stay there for like a month and kind of work him into it or whatever and make, you know, so we can make the transition kind of seamless. And that's pretty much what we did. Like we, we did that. And it, for me, it got, it made it so that I didn't have, I could leave without feeling like I was leaving Axel in a lurch. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and keep my relationship with Axe. He was cool with it all and with the changes. Yeah. Yeah, he was cool with it. He was really cool with with Roy, you know. So I thought that whole thing worked great. So to me, it was like, uh, you know, I think he understood where that was all coming from. And definitely he knew that um, Jimmy was kind of pushing for it, you know. Okay. And uh, and then, you know, when you get that new influx of, of creative energy that you get from having a guy that has done a million records you really respect, you know what I mean? It's like, that just gives you a little extra something, you know what I mean? So sure. I, I think it worked really well for him too. So it was a pretty, it was a nicely seamless transition where there weren't, there weren't a lot of hurt feelings or anything, you know what I mean? It was like, cool. it's kind of, it was a real good for both of us, I think, you know? Cool. Um, and it was at a perfect time because Josh had just left, you know, not too long before, before that Josh left and Brain was in, and we were redoing Brain's parts, and I, Robin was leaving, and, you know, I mean, so I knew, like, certain, an, an influx of people were going, so it was going to need new hmm. life, new energy anyway, you know? So it, it turned out to work really well. Of course, uh, Roy didn't take my advice, which was really push Axe on singing the songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, uh, you know... They recorded some really cool stuff, so they did. But yeah. I would be remiss not to to ask you, since you're a Queen fanatic, can you tell us what can you tell us about Brian May? And was that it was was it just Catcher in the Rye that he recorded on? And like was that version not used for on Chinese Democracy Rye? Okay. Yeah, it so, was. It wasn't used. Yeah. So it what wasn't can you? Used. What can you tell us about? It? And why wouldn't you would think you got Brian May to record it? Well, you would use that. You know? Oh yeah, I mean, what Brian the stuff Brian played was great. You know what I mean? Um, he's just great. What can you say? Um, and but I think Brian came in with like a little bit of the. I, he's such a generative person. Like, I, he really wanted to like kind of make a difference with acts and and kind of kind of hope to kind of push him to, you know, do a record quick and get it out there and maybe play with him. You know what I mean? Like, I think Brian was kind of interested in doing that as well. Like, um, and I, I think Axel just wasn't like, he, he didn't want another guy like that. You know what I mean? Like that, that he was going to, because you really, you have to deal with, you know, the, the super star that, Brian May is, you know what I mean? Like okay. the, the whole thing, I, th I think that's like a, cause that introduces a whole new kettle of worms as far as, you know, balancing what you want to do with what he's going to want to do. And then you're creating a whole nother dynamic that's maybe similar to like him and Slash or whatever. Does that I mean, mean and, do you mean him joining the band or him like doing guest appearances when the song comes on? It wasn't really when, it wasn't the, it was the thing about getting him to do a guest appearance, but I think Brian also was really interested in maybe making it more than that. That would have been, I mean? wow, that would have been interesting. Yeah, it that would have been a different animal. You couldn't call that yeah. Guns N' Roses. That would be. No, it, it would, it would have. I, I think yeah. it would have been a really interesting thing and it would have been, but it would have been a whole nother band. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, totally. You know? Um, and w when you think about like people with singular voices, you know what I mean? There are no, like, you know, two people with more singular voices, Brian May and Axl Rose. I mean, his guitar playing, he, he plays three notes and you know, it's Brian May. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, 
it's just like Axel, you know, one note and you know, it's Axel, you know? So it's like that, that was like a whole nother kind of thing. And I don't think Axel was at that point where he was ready to do that kind of thing. You know what I mean? He wanted to be more of a, um, I think he wanted guns at that point to be more of a collaborative, like an ensemble Mm -hmm. and less of a star vehicle, you know what I mean? For different people or whatever. Did that have any, um, kind of direction as to why that the song wasn't included or that his version was not included on Chinese democracy as to not take away from this new album or was jet that. Yeah. I, I I would imagine it was just maybe that it was what, what Brian brought to the table. Axel just like it was Axel was just like, Hmm, it's not, it's not doing it for me. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, and you know how it is. Like, you can have the greatest guitar player in the world play. It's like, you know, we had, uh, when we were doing uh, Downward Spiral, we had uh, Adrian Ballou come in, you know, and and play guitar on several tracks. And Adrian is, like, probably one of my favorite guitarists, you know, like, incredible guitarist. And he played all kinds of really cool stuff. (laughs) Um, and Trent didn't like hardly any of it except for like, because it wasn't what he was envisioning. I get that for the record. And in the end, it just, he took, I think 24 tracks of, of Adrian soloing and put them all together and used them as a swarm of bees in the beginning of Eraser. You know what I mean? And it's freaking brilliant. Like, it's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, it really creates this feeling of the hive, you know, um, hmm. and the descent, you know, and it, and it really, really was cool. You know what I mean? But it wasn't it like Adrian's singular voice playing melodic or amelodic lines in, in a song as a solo just wasn't fitting into what Trent was envisioning, you know what I mean? Like, or he maybe thought it might be cool, but it wasn't, it ter- turned out not to be what he wanted. And I think that's what happened with Axe. Okay. In that too, you know? I get that. Because he's a, Axe is a huge Brian May fan, you know I mean? Obviously, you yeah. know? Uh, it, it, whatever, but like it, for that moment, it just wasn't the right thing, you hmm. know? Yeah, okay. And and speaking of, because I can't keep you here forever. I mean, if if they ever do a get back, version of Guns N' Roses, you can just do a documentary just on Chinese democracy. And Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just so much. So, you know, I, yeah. you got to eat. My cat's already jumping up and down, <laughs> wanting to be fed. So I'm not going to keep you here too much longer. Okay. Uh, but since you mentioned da- Downward Spiral, uh, this is from Eric P., our buddy. He says, please, please ask him uh, what the experience was like recording Downward Spiral uh, in the old, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, Saleo House? Oh, uh, it was the, uh, um, and he's like, wants to know if you slept there or any recollections, recollections that you have from that album. In addition yeah. to what you've already told us in that the Celio drive house. Uh, uh, Cielo. Yeah. Cielo. Cielo drive. Yeah. Okay. Cause that was where Sharon Tate was murdered. Yeah. Okay. So is what I know. That, yeah. That's the, uh, the Manson, the Manson murders. Sharon Tate was murdered there with, uh, Jay Sebring and Wojtek Furkowski, and I can't remember the other person's name. And I saw Once Abigail Upon a Time in Hollywood. Abigail Gabriel Folger, yeah. The okay. Folger heiress. Um, yeah, it, we were at that, like, in that place, and that place was um, really beautiful. Like, like it was, it was, um, it wasn't really a mansion. It was like a ranch house, you know, on this beautiful property. Um, and we created, we took the living room and made it into the studio. Um, and Shelly Yakis had come and, given us some pointers on how to do that. And a couple of the techs, Mark Tyndall and Mark Morangel from uh, A&M, who were the technicians at A&M, you know, gave us all kinds of information and like really helped us set up a great studio. Um, so the recording there, we had this really nice studio. We're using an Amec Mozart board, which is a great sounding console. It had all the Neve modules in it. Um, it, it was like a really nice little room to record in and we could record drums in the dining room. It sounded really good. Um, and so like, but it was like every day, you know, you'd show up every day in the house. We s- slept there. Mm. There were a couple different rooms. There was a guest house that um, Chris Frenna was sleeping in and uh, Flood was there. He was in the guest room there. Um, and so Flood and I would work all day um, or 
mostly during the days, mostly mostly during the day, the the it w- we'd play Prisoner of Zelda. <laughs> um, nice. And you know, until like six or something, and then we'd start working on the record. Um, and it was it was one of those records where we were doing everything kind of at the edge of technology, where we had a two Studer twenty four track machines that we'd record to. We had a Pro Tool system. Um, and at the time it was like, you know, I think we had four channels of Pro Tools, hmm. you know, so we record things in Pro Tools, cut them up, edit them, and then dump them to 24 track and then go back and forth. And we had a, a time, like a, a Microlinks unit that was our synchronization thing. And it would always screw up on us. Like it was constantly having troubles, which may be the ghost of Sharon Tate, you know, screwing with us or whatever. See my cat walking. (laughs) (laughs) You see, I told you, I don't lie about it. He's like, that's how you know he's getting mad walking in front of the camera. (laughs) Yeah. But it was, it was one of those things where technology would always break constantly. Like it was, you know, it was a nightmare. Um, but we did really, really cool stuff, you know, and for me, it was amazing. I got to work with flood. He got to, you know, he taught me everything I know about producing really, you know, in that period of time. Um, and, but it was all about experimenting, you know, we're there 24 hours a day. So like, you know, it was come up with a bunch of crazy configurations for pedals and run a guitar through it and then, you know, record something you'd never heard before. You know, that was what it was all about, Mm. you know? So that was our vibe. What do you think about what Trent's doing today? Doing movie scores and winning winning awards and Oscars? I mean, did you did you foresee him going down this route? Um, I always thought he should. I mean, like like after after with teeth, I thought, well, the obvious thing he needs to do is get into scoring. And when Fincher contacted him, because we had done um, the stuff for Seven, you know, we had done a couple of songs for that and stuff. So. It was, and we did, and of course we did this, the film score for um, Lost Highway for David Lynch. Right. Right. And so, and then also we had been working, you know, during like 95, 96, we were working on uh, Doom, work, doing the soundtrack for Doom for the, you know, so it was kind of a natural, it was a seeming natural progression. And um, I thought the soundtrack f- for The Social Network was genius you know like and uh so you know it it makes total sense plus atticus is like one he's one of my favorite composers like the book of eli is phenomenal you know i mean like his his composition on on his own is incredible so the two of them together doing that is is just really awesome i mean i was so happy like he trent finally in atticus trent finally found that collaborator that like just worked perfect with him you know right on yeah, uh, Sean. I mean, this is again. We can keep going and going, but my cat's he's gonna t- attack me again. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, just to kind of bookend everything, is there any projects now specifically you want people to be out in the lookout with that we can, you know, whether experience now or you have coming down the pike that you're excited for? Oh yeah. Um. Actually, uh, Juliet and I are working on a new eight millimeter record. Okay. Um, and so that should. That should happen probably within the next five months. Um, it'll come out. Um, we've got four songs in the can right now, and they're turning out really cool. Kind of uh, a lot like our soundtrack work. Um, and, uh, you know, our la- last record, um, if you haven't heard it yet, uh, Heart Shaped Hell is, I'm super proud of it. I think it's really cool. So, you know, if you get a chance to listen to it, okay. do that. And the best place. And, right, and also right now, um, with, uh, Shining Norway, we just released a new single, um, and, uh, it's called Kiss My Ass, and it's, um, it's so fun, like, heavy rocking, but, like, fun, you know, fun lyrics and stuff Jürgen and I wrote over the, Jürgen and Ula and I wrote over the last, uh, six months, so, um, check that out, it's on Spotify, just got on a couple of really good playlists and stuff, so it's doing really well. You know, dare I ask, and maybe this is going to keep you here for forever, just so give, you can give me a short answer. Do you have an opinion on what's going on with Spotify and, and Joe Rogan? And, and uh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> if, if you want to share it, I guess you can. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I, my opinion on Spotify is uh, it's uh, terrible. <laughs> you know, it's like it's one of those things where 
I like, you know, it's like I'm like normal people. I like the fact that I can now stream movies when I want to hear them, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I pay the subscription fee to Netflix and, you know, and Disney Plus and all those things, you know. I really love that in-demand thing is amazing. I think in-demand stuff should be for music or whatever. What I'm against is a guy getting a ton of money from venture capitalists, mainly for data mining, you know what I mean? Mm. And what he does to attract all that data so he can sell it to people is shortchange artists and really make them into slaves, you know? And it's just, and, and what's even worse is that the major labels kind of went along with it and made their own separate deals with them. So they get way more money than the artists. And so, you know, a, a, a producer I know, Greg Wells, you know, just, just posted one of his things where he has a song that he wrote with three other people, you know, 100 million plays on Spotify. He got six grand. Huh. That's not even what it cost him to make it. Yes, obviously something's wrong. You know what wrong. I mean? Yeah, obviously something's wrong. Yeah. And it's a completely unsustainable thing. You know what I mean? And especially in the uh, in the era of like the pandemic and stuff where we can't even do the main thing we could do to make money and even like, you know, play live, right? Yeah. And playing live, you know, before like before this stuff happened with streaming and downloading, obviously, which, which was the worst thing for us, um, what most bands, you know, use that as a, use touring as a promotion for the album, right? So it promoted album sales. So it was really marketing, right? And they got used to going like, well, we really want to market this great and we want to give people a, an amazing experience for... A, a really good price. So most bands who are doing these amazing shows, like Nine Inch Nails, Downward Spiral Tour, like literally the amount of money it costs with ticket sales and stuff like that, they were literally breaking even. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like we ju we could just afford the three buses that we needed and the five semis and the, you know, with the lighting rentals and the sound rentals and all that stuff. We we're pretty much breaking even. And the only thing that they were making money on was the merchandise sales, like T-shirts and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So it's like primarily at that point you had record sales and you had merchandise sales that were the things that gave you the money to be able to make the next record, to do the next thing, to to make the show even cooler and amazing. And now in this era, people have kind of stopped buying merchandise. They cause, Because, I mean, face it, people don't make that much money now because prices have... Yeah, I'm selective with what I... I buy, yeah. you know, because you have yeah. to be, you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, it's when you consider that wages have stayed flat since the eighties, you know what I mean? And everything has gone up in huge, you know, costs, you know, I mean, housing, food, like everything, gas, blah, blah, blah. Everything's three, four or five times more than it, it costs. Then people don't have the kind of income they used to have, you know what I mean? And it's a huge, it's a huge economic problem when you can't provide an economy that supports the majority of your people. You know what I mean? Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I had to take the opportunity to pick your brain, you know, somebody yeah. who's been in the industry for, for so long and has seen so many different things and so many different changes. So, uh, I, I appreciate yeah, yeah. you sharing that and hopefully something changes because whether, you know, the whole uh, Joe Rogan controversy aside, that's yeah. not right. You know, that's yeah. not right. Uh, you know, a lot of musicians. Yeah, because to are me, to me, the Spotify thing with Joe Rogan, like, I mean, you know, Joe's Joe's a, a guy. He's allowed to say what he wants to say. You know, like at least, I mean, I think he's allowed to say what he wants to say, First Amendment wise, which you right. know, means the government, the government can't come in and tell him what he what he can say because that's against the First Amendment. Sure, you know what I mean. But the public can speak against you know against him, and, and other people can say, you know, I I, I think that uh, Neil Young had every right to say yeah. what he said, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, you know, Joni Mitchell, whatever, you know, just like Joe Rogan has every right to say what he wants to say, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, I would love to see more, more artists pull out of Spotify, you know? And I would love to see a bunch of really great legacy artists, like a Bruce Springsteen, like a Eagles, like blah, 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 like come up with a streaming platform that doesn't, you know, have a $40 million office building, 
right. you know, doesn't keep a billion dollars worth of money for themselves and, you know, uses it as like a nonprofit and then gives streaming money and maybe even does like what Netflix and, and Apple Plus and or Disney Plus and Apple um, TV does where they 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 create creative content, you know, maybe the next Spotify, you know, acts kind of as a record label and, and gives seed money to an, a great an artist that they believe in, you know what I mean? And helps, helps them, you know, create a new artist, you know, do a new thing. Cause that's what we need. You know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't need someone who just takes all the money. <laughs> I, you know? I, I hear you. I mean, as somebody, you know, I'm not a musician, but as somebody who puts his podcast on Spotify, YouTube, or all these places, I'm not Joe Rogan signing these deals. You know, this is just a little, you know, little shekels coming my way. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I'm, and, I'm glad I, I'm surviving because I have a job. But still, if, if, if this is your job, you got to get direct compensation, like or, or appropriate compensation. Yeah, yeah, know? for so, sure. I get it. And But what I like about, like, because I, I love the podcast thing, you know what I mean? And I love... I love that so many people are able to kind of do a passion project, yeah. you know, and, and get that kind of publishing. Like, you know, like a guy like uh, Aaron Menke, you know, like from uh, Lore, you know, had an idea and he did it and has been able to parlay it into a lot of things, you know, just like you you can do, you know, like every, every, everybody can do, you know. Um, I love that aspect of it. But what guys like, like the streaming platforms like, you know, Spotify, it's it's literally just an ex- using they're using music as an excuse to get people in so that they can data mine it to major corporations yeah. you know what i mean and it's it's just you know okay <laughs> you know? it's like that that would be okay if they were paying the artists you know cuz if you take all the music off spotify you know and there's just a you know a few podcasts or whatever you're not going to see the kind of you know no Definitely not. User base, you know what I mean? Music is the user base, you know? It, it's what everybody loves, you know? It's like it should get the lo- kind of love that it deserves, you know what I mean? I do, I do. Again, I appreciate you, you know, giving your insight. I knew it wasn't going to be a short answer, but uh, you mentioned <laughs> it. I'm like, I got to pick his brain. I mean, I hope to get you on again, but at least— Yeah, it, for sure. Let's do it. Uh, thank you so much. And you'll appreciate how I end this podcast, but I'll say that's it for this episode of uh, Appetite for Distortion. Uh, what is to come? Actually, I think next week I have a lot of different people coming on. I got uh, Daryl McDaniels, Run DMC. I was oh, supposed yeah. to do it, but since he lives on the East Coast where I am, we had a major storm and his internet connection wasn't working. Uh, I, I'm getting Walter Flaccus from uh, so Stabbing Westward. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. Uh, Cliff Compton, who I, I don't know if you're a wrestling. Yeah, it's funny. I, I work with uh, Andy Kubishevsky, the, they're like the drummer and songwriter from Stabbing Westward. Okay. Yeah, I work with him a lot. So. Okay. W- Walter yeah. says, and he didn't even know this, that he's a radio DJ in Chicago. I hadn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, what what I've, I've just recently started visiting Chicago because my fiance is from there. But oh, I don't know. I love Chicago. I do too now. I definitely do. Uh, I've gotten tattoos there now. Actually, <laughs> the last tattoo I got of the uh, GNR robot, I got oh, at yeah. the tattoo factory. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Tie everything in together. And also, I don't know if you're a wrestling guy. His, his, he used to go by Domino in uh, in the WWE. He's Cliff Compton now, but he dresses like Axel in the ring. I mean, he's just. <laughs> You got to interview that guy. So when are you going to see these episodes? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.